Let's open our Bibles to the book of Psalms, and we're going to find ourselves in Psalm 84 this evening. Psalm 84, and as soon as we find it, we're going to stand to our feet, and we are going to read all 12 verses of this psalm. So Psalm 84, oh, I see them popping up, I see them popping up. Uh-oh, people are realizing the pressure is on. Psalm 84, the easiest way to find it is find the middle of your Bible and let it fall open and then pretend like it's Psalm 84. And then you stand up. Psalm 84, there we go. Um, I'll tell you one time I was at a Christian school and I was going to preach a uh, a chapel there at, it was Cross Lanes Christian School there in uh, Cross Lanes, West Virginia. And I show up and of course I was so young at the time and I already looked, you know, so young for my age or at least... For now, I do. Uh, I showed up, and they thought I was another student. They're like, oh, who's the new guy? Who's the new guy? Then I got up to preach, and they were all surprised. And uh, I decided, I said, we'll do, a, you know, we'll do a sword drill. And I'm telling you, I knew what verse we were going to, and they beat me. I was shocked. And then I went back, and there were elementary kids, like, second graders beating me at sword drill like I just wanted to fold up my Bible and go home like I think you all don't need me um, I will listen to the eight-year-old preach to me and that will be fine but thank you so much for bringing your Bibles here we are we're in Psalm 84 and I just want to spend just a few moments in the sweet peaceful sanctuary of this psalm how amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh, crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O, Jake, o God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them which, that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Father, we thank you for your goodness and for the purity of your word and the peace of your sanctuary. Lord, empty me of myself by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you'd fill me. Comfort ye, Lord. Comfort your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The occasion of the Psalms also gives us uh, much direction as to the author's intent historically. However, there's a little bit of a dispute about exactly when this psalm was written. So I'll not hang the 
content or the value to one historical event, but I will say that it is a psalm that is of the chief musician upon Gittith, a psalm for the sons of Korah. And there is truth in this because this superscription of the Psalms is inspired by the Holy Ghost. It wasn't put there by the editors of your Bible. And we know a little bit about the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were a particular branch within the house of Levi. And they were assigned to work there in the tabernacle, in the temple, watching over the doors and, and making sure that proper entrance and exit was made. Which is why you find in the context of this psalm, the writer declaring that it is better to be a doorkeeper, so to speak. Verse number 10, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Ironically enough, in the family history of Korah, they came upon a tragic day. For those familiar, I believe, if I can remember off the top of my head, it's in Numbers chapter number 11 or somewhere thereabouts. There was a great rebellion led by Korah himself, their great patriarch. And this rebellion was led against Moses. And basically, Korah was trying to take the leadership that was rightfully given to Moses. And to make a long story short, Korah was very embarrassed at the end. The earth opened up, swallowed most of them, closed up. And everybody knew that Moses was to be the one leading the nation. But those remnants of Korah also knew. They knew their place. And their place was not to be in the place of Moses, but rather as attendants in the sanctuary of God. And for many of us, we aspire great and lofty things. We want to be the one leading the charge. We want to be the one with notoriety. We want to be the one with great credibility. But here, this, in this wonderful responsibility that these sons of Korah had just to serve in the tabernacle and later to serve in the temple, they found a place of peace. They found a place of, of rest there. And as we examine just a few verses here in this psalm, with the time we have remaining this evening, I would like to preach on my dwelling place. My dwelling place. It would be easy for you to perceive me in a certain light. I am the pastor of Valley View Baptist Church. I love saying that, by the way. I hope you don't mind. I love when I'm away and, and visiting and, and, and greeting people. I, I love to be able to say, my name is Pastor Jared Shoemate of Valley View Baptist Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. I like that. But I tell you, there is a greater identity that I have with this place than just its pastor. Because I'm part of its people. And I love coming into the sanctuary of this place. And yes, I know that God is present in our homes and God is present in our cars and God is present in our prayer closet. And for those watching by live stream, that God is present with you and by extension, we are with you as well. 
But there's just something special about gathering together in God's house. You hear me say that all the time. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Wonderful time in the house of the Lord. And by the way, I say it so intentionally because I feel the same way as these sons of Korah as they mention it in verse number one. How amiable are the tabernacles, in other words, the dwelling places of the Lord of hosts. I can say with the same fervor of verse number two that my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh, it crieth out for the living God. And I know that when I am in distress, I want to be in the sanctuary of the Most High. When I am in fear, I want to run to His tabernacle and find a refuge and find a place of peace and a place of comfort. When I am full of joy and rejoicing, I want to come in the presence of God with the people of God and I want to shout and I want to say hallelujah and I want to rejoice and I want to clap my hands and and declare that we serve a living God. And there is something special about doing that in the presence of his people and is his house. Some have speculated that this psalm was written during the time of Hezekiah. During that time, the Assyrian army laid siege on Jerusalem and like a hurricane, if you will, drove up like a massive surge against Jerusalem. Its soldiers, if you could imagine the imagery, splashing against the walls of Jerusalem. And Hezekiah turned to a holy God for deliverance. And God delivered them. God beat back the armies of the Assyrians and like a tide they were drawn back into the sea of humanity and Jerusalem stood like a city with its light still on the hill shining as a testimony to God's goodness, God's preservation, God's power over any adversary. And many of us speculated that this psalm was written by those who had to stand watch on the walls in Jerusalem. And as that Assyrian army rode back across the horizon, that those of Korah, that family of Levi, could come back into that place, that temple of worship, And get back to the things that they love most. To get back to God. As I examine this, my heart begins to delight in this sanctuary of God. If you grant me the liberty, I'd, I'd like to illuminate just a few things from these opening verses I've got an outline that covers every verse, almost every single word of this chapter. We'll not try to do that tonight. Some of you, I love the tabernacle, but come on, Pastor Jared. (laughs) Dwelling in the sanctuary of God. For those of Korah, it was their love 
And it ought to be, it ought to be our love too, to dwell in the sanctuary of God. Look at verse number one, how they describe thy tabernacles. Now, if this be written during the temple period, that word tabernacles, notice the plural, not speaking of the tabernacle of God as it was in the wilderness wanderings with Moses and in the time of David before the construction of the temple in Solomon, but the plural tabernacles, it could refer to a couple different things. It could refer, first off, to the dwelling places that surrounded the temple that the Levitical priests, the sons of Korah, would find their dwelling, almost like dormitories, as they would come in and out of those tabernacles as ways of service, but they were on the temple grounds, so they were always there in that temple, in that sanctuary, in the presence of God, if you will. And I'll remind you that in that time, they did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. For the Holy Spirit of God would come upon a man and, and God could remove the hand of his Holy Spirit just like he did with King Saul as well as many others in the Old Testament. So for we who are in this dispensation of grace, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by him under the day of redemption. And the moment we got saved, we became a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit of God, never to be removed. He did not sign a temporary lease one year or six months, but instead he bought the place by the blood of Jesus Christ and decided that he was going to reside here permanently. And as we examine this, yes, I'm thinking about the wonders of being able to come into this sanctuary, but I recognize that most likely the tabernacles that this man is referring to in the Psalms are really a more private dwelling place where he's able to be there near the presence of God in that intimate moment with God. And notice our love for that place. How amiable are thy tabernacles. Notice the phrase here, O Lord of hosts. That word amiable, amiable is not one that we use often, but it, it, it means how much in love we are with this place. And if I could make a distinction that's also made um, by a, a commentator, Jameson Fawcett and Brown, he, he, he made this interesting correlation that yes, the word amiable, it, it means to be in love with. It does not mean lovely, but beloved. There are many things that are lovely to me. I'll pass and I'll see a, a beautiful horizon and the sun is setting far in the distance and the sky is just splashed with oranges and purples. As I was flying into the Knoxville airport, I missed the mountains and I pressed my, my eyes towards that window and I saw the great smoky mountains and the, the clouds resting in them and the peaks reaching out above them. I saw little splotches of trees that are preparing themselves for autumn and my heart began to, to beat more quickly because I was almost home. It was lovely. Many things can be lovely, but only a few things are beloved. Oh, those mountains are lovely, 
But that little girl that was sitting beside me, oh, she's beloved. And that word beloved is the same as amiable. And he's speaking about this this dwelling in the sanctuary of God. And oh, how sometimes our entertainment-driven mind gets so distracted by the sensations of watching a football game or playing a video game or doing some outdoor activity, whether it's hunting or or fishing or dirt bike riding or hiking, which I, I love all of those things. Well, not so much fishing, but everything else I really love. I really enjoy it. But I'm telling you that there is just something so much greater, so much better to be able to come into this, into this reverential place of the presence of God and know that he has opened the doors of it wide open. And, And whether you be struggling with your sin or whether you be broken and in a desperate strait, God's mercy and his grace accepts you all in. And we can come to this place and we can love it and never, ever, ever feel like we've been cast out from his presence. Oh, and the psalmist says, oh, how amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts, dwelling in the sanctuary of God. I pray that you love it. Not that you love the pews or the carpet or the wood. Oh, but you love the presence of the Lord of hosts. To be able to find a place where you are with him and he is with you. And you are with, as the writer of Song of Solomon says, you are with your beloved And he is with his. Oh, we live in a in a world that is so saturated with enthusiastic, exciting advertisement, bright flashing light, that we have grown numb to the still, small, peaceful presence of our God. Oh, and in that place of peace. The psalmist says, oh, how amiable. Oh, I love thy tabernacles. The wonderful thing about it, he's talking about the love that he has for these tabernacles, these courts. He says in verse number two, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh crieth out for the living God. And we see that when this man is dwelling in the sanctuary of God, it is our love, but not just our love, but our longing. That when it's not there and when the distance has been long between us and that 
place of the Lord's presence that we, like a weary traveler across the desert with no water, longeth after that cool drink of water that is only provided by the life-giving water of the Holy Spirit of God. Nothing can replace it. And no song and no activity, no sport can replace the presence of God, although many have tried to find satisfaction for a God-weary soul. There is no replacement for God. Oh, and the psalmist declares that it's not just his love, but it's his longing. Oh, how the spirit of revival burns in our hearts when we'd simply long for the Lord and wonder what is it that has caused the distance between our hearts and his Oh, it is it our sin, and if so, may he find a church ready to repent and run to the grace of, and mercy of God. Oh, if it's complacency, would he find an ember that'll still kindle the fire and fire the flames of revival once again? Oh, if it be the one whose heart has grown so cold and that the joy of salvation has become foreign, may he soften our hearts again and create in us not just a love, but a longing to be in the presence of God. Oh, in his glorious sanctuary. Now, when I see our love and our, our longing, and I, I notice in verse number three, our look. He says, yea, the sparrow hath found a house and a swallow and nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And I don't, I, I, I don't want to add too much narrative that's not to the context, but someone was looking, weren't they? Like sometimes whenever we, we read the Bible, we dehumanize the, the instrument that God used to write it. We dehumanize them and we create some computer type being that must have been in some mystical dark chamber with a pen writing with great fury the things of God. But that's not how my God works. Oh, first he stirs in heart. And just like the prophet Jeremiah says, sometimes he opens an eye and as the prophet says, mine eye affecteth my heart. And I can see if the commentator is right about this coinciding with the Assyrians and Hezekiah. I can see him on the wall longing to be in the tabernacle when he looks across and he sees first the sparrow. He sees that sparrow, this tiny, small, insignificant little bird. You say, why? Why are you calling him small and a little insignificant? Well, because he is. Even Jesus makes reference to this. He says in Matthew 6, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. It says in Matthew chapter number 10, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? It's just a small little bird. And one of them, 
shall not fall on the ground without your father. And I would imagine that Jesus is looking down to the man used penning this as he is not so far from that same place remembering the time that he used the eyes of this psalmist to look over and see this this sparrow land right there at the temple. And as the Lord opens his eyes and he stirs his heart and the Lord begins to whisper sweet things in the heart of the psalmist saying, look at the peace that I provide in my sanctuary. Even a sparrow, this small little insignificant bird, lands there. And I don't get the sense that the priests are running around shooing the thing off. I mean, the whole idea... It's not that there's some little Levite running around with a broom. Get away, little sparrow! But instead, it's quite the opposite. That the sparrow is, is welcomed in, this small little insignificant bird. And isn't that the picture that the Lord Jesus Christ was trying to paint or did paint in the book of Matthew when he says in verse number 30 of Matthew chapter 10 after describing that these two sparrows sold for a farthing that if one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. In other words, he sees them, he loves them, and he knows even about these little sparrows. And then the very next statement from Jesus Christ says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, you're more valuable than many sparrows. And oh, how beautifully the, the gospels coincide with Psalm 84 as we look to that sparrow who's not shooed away, but welcomed by the Father in the most holy presence of God. Oh, yes. When we find a dwelling place in the sanctuary of God, it is a place of love, it's a place of longing, but it's a place where we ought to look, make some observations that even the little sparrow is welcome. You know, that's not the only bird mentioned here. There's another bird, a, a swallow. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house for the swallow. And then it says, for the sparrow hath found a house. In other words, a place of dwelling. But there's a different used word used for the swallow. But a nest. A nest. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but also don't want to make too little of it. But the Holy Spirit of God chose two different birds and two different types of houses here. Again, I don't want to make too much of it, but I don't want to make too little of it. The, the sparrow is known for its small stature, but the swallow, although not a large bird, is known for its speed and its haste and almost like a, uh, like a, like a quick little thing zipping around. You would find a, a swallow, not to... Uh, um, not to distract, but maybe that's why Monty Python was so interested in the speed of a swallow. Some of you will get that. And a swallow flying around quickly, and I notice that it does not describe that a swallow is going to make a house there, for the Lord has designed this particular bird in a different way, but it's, it's flying around, it's fluttering, it's full of movement and busy, and many of us, aren't we, flying and fluttering around and, and very busy, and, and we might not land in one place for very long, but notice what it says about that sparrow's dwelling. It does not call it a house, but it does call it a nest. 
nest. Oh, that nest is a place where this bird who is used of the Lord to flitter and to fly and to move rapidly and to to find its place in many different locations, but yet there is a nest, a place where it can find rest uh, there in the tabernacles, in the sanctuary of the Lord. And I I notice that, that even in the busyness of our lives, we still have another generation to bring up. And what does it say about that swallow? It says, Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. No matter how busy we get, there needs to be a place of rest. A place of rest, not just for our soul, but also for those that are coming behind us. Oh, that we would long for this sanctuary in the same way that the psalmist did. That we would love it, that we would long for it, but that we would, would look around, we would notice the, the sparrow, that we would notice the swallow, and as we... Look behind us, there's another generation coming. Some of them are living in our houses. We need to raise them somewhere. And I in no way, shape, or form of trying to guilt trip anyone about any decisions that they make for their home. But I will say this, it's very clear to me in the, in the scriptures, not just here, but throughout, that it is so important to have a place of sanctuary where our children can be raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And I thank the Lord for this place. Because this place has become that place for me and my family. Oh, I rejoice. I long for it when I'm away. I love it when I'm here and I look around and I see some sparrows and I see some swallows for sure. And I'm glad that we can all land here and find a place of of rest But as I look around, I see someone else there, and I'll go quickly. I see one other, perhaps the most important resident of the sanctuary. In verse number three, it says, Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars. And then here is the third and the most important, the primary inhabitant of that sanctuary, O Lord of hosts. Oh, the psalmist is so overwhelmed and I would love to unpack each of these three descriptions but will not take all the time. I'll leave you here at the end of verse number three in that final period and let you feast on the remaining verses of it. But before we go, let's be reminded that the reason that the sanctuary is loved and longed after and the reason it's worth looking into is because the Lord is there. It's because of Him. It's not because of our hymn books or because of our choir or because of our pews or because of our heat or our air conditioning. It's because the Lord is there. Oh, and if all these things were lost and we find ourselves in a downpour covered only by the leaves that God has placed on the trees, if God's there, it's still a sanctuary. 
Oh, we've made a great mistake. When we believe that the sanctuary of the Lord is found in religious formality. No, it's found in the presence of God. We've made a mistake. When we think our righteous works will create a peaceful sanctuary because they won't. It takes the presence of the Lord. And we ought to walk right and live righteously. But that's not what grants us the privilege of His presence. It's the grace and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we can come into the presence of that sanctuary. And we can love it. And we can long for it. And we can look to it. Because that's where the Lord is found. The Lord is not found in a building. The Lord is is found in the presence of His people, in the devotion of His Word, in a still, quiet moment where you've pushed aside every distraction and turned your heart towards the Lord. And that psalmist, as he's on the wall looking towards the the tabernacles of that temple, he loves the presence of the Lord. It's almost like he's there and he can taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you long for it? Oh, there's the seeds of revival. Do you love it? Or has your heart grown cold? May we come to God's word and allow his word to draw us in to that peaceful sanctuary of his presence.